0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. British Bulldog's my name, wrestling's my game. In tomorrow's Daily Mirror, the amazing secret of my life. It's red
1: hot, soulless, and good. Plus, get your teeth into a free hamburger at Burger King. You feeling hungry? You want a free burger? You got it! Only with the Daily Mirror!
0: Take a big bite tomorrow!
1: It my music! Break it down! It's the key. Oh, you didn't know! An Stand back! I'm a
0: nice man! I'm my Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Eat me! Hey. No. Hey. No, I'm
1: not. It's enough! <laughs> You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
0: Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 142, and it's a look at the themes of the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith. And today I am joined by another Brit... Uh, he is a returning guest here on the show, a host of The True Penny Show. It's James True Penny. Hello again,
1: James. Hello. How are you? I'm um, doing good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much for asking, and uh, thank you for inviting me back. I always love coming to this particular show. It's a wonderful thing to do.
0: Oh, yeah. Always great when you're on here. Um, and this is your third episode, for those keeping score at mm-hmm. home. Uh, first couple times you were on, we did those Joshi episodes, and, and those were a lot of fun. A lot of great themes on those, but um, this time around... We're looking at a markedly different subject than Joshi, I think. Uh, A bit closer at home for you, given the UK connection, obviously. But um, yeah, this is a a bit of a left turn from our normal fare here, James.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, David Boy Smith, obviously, um, one of the wrestlers I watched closely growing up because pretty much watched him from him being the age of 16 for his whole career, one way or another, in various different bits of the world. So yeah, he's from Lancashire, which is about two hours east of me, um, Goldbourne in Lancashire. Um, so, yeah, obviously Wigan wrestling. And he grew up in a generation of wrestlers that were my guys, Mike Jones and Mark Rocco and Dynamite Kid and Chick Cullen and um, <clears throat> all of these wrestlers that really revolutionized what junior heavyweight wrestling would be for the next 20 or 30 years, and we still see that effect today. So he's he's one of my guys. And, um, yeah, this has been a a, a real journey on musical discovery, because like <laughs> obviously when you like look at when you grow up and you're watching people on YouTube and stuff, like you don't see necessarily the intros and things like that, so the music sometimes gets a bit passed by, but it is obviously an important part of the presentation. So, yeah, it's been interesting to see which promoters did what with him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there, there are some uh, interesting choices in Davey Boy's theme history, that's for sure. But but he's had, you know, a very interesting career. You know, he's one of the most famous British wrestlers of all time. He was in the British Bulldogs with Dynamite Kid, which was a hugely influential tag team in wrestling history. Never a long-term main event guy, but he did main event Wembley with Brett at SummerSlam in front of that just massive, massive crowd you know, biggest match of his life, really, and always featured as, like, an upper mid-carder for the large bulk of his career in WWF and WCW, had the tag team with Owen as well, which was a lot of fun, and, you know, he was IC champion, tag champion, first European champion too, so, yeah, never a tippy-tippy top guy, but still a pretty noteworthy career um, for good reasons and and bad reasons too, which we'll get to, unfortunately, James.
1: Yes, unfortunately, whenever you talk about the Bulldogs in general, there's a an aura about them that is very very positive but there's an aura about them that we have to discuss to be fair because otherwise you don't get the whole story do you Mm, yeah you
0: talked about you know watching davy boy through his entire career pretty much growing up i i didn't have that obviously because i started watching wrestling in 03 and davy boy died in 02 and um he was what 39 years old which is just insanely young i mean it's so so crazy awfully young and that young death along with the other dark stuff of his life and career with the drugs and the steroids and injuries and all that stuff. It, it's hard for me not to think about that with Davy Boy. They're kind of part and parcel together, really. And I don't like that, but it just, it's just the case for me. You know, it's, it's kind of true for a lot of wrestlers, unfortunately, James.
1: I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely of that particular era. Um, and attitudes have changed, you know, to the things that happened to Davy. Um, mental health wise and physical health wise, and um, the issues he had with drugs. I mean, I was looking at Captain Who somebody said something stupid this morning about, oh, you would, in the old days, you would have never got an um, MMA fighter or a boxer quitting, uh, canceling a, a fight because of mental health issues. And it's like, yeah, well, Pap should have done. <laughs> <laughs> and those, those, those things were not part of the deal. You worked and you worked and you worked hurt because. You know it was even back then especially if you were a, a big numbers guy you were expected to you know we're paying you a lot of money so we expect you to turn up that was kind of the deal and a kind of a thing that was hammered into them in the british scene in the late 70s you know um the dynamite says book you know dynamite kid says in his book um he wrestled he was wrestling on a joint promotions card for max crabtree and um Someone they wanted him to wrestle um, a, an African wrestler whose name escapes me, but he was known as being a bit stiff and a bit rough. No one wants to wrestle him, and Dynamite, being a tough kid, said, "I'll do it," but I want his pay packet. Um, and instead of getting ten pounds, he got paid fifteen pounds, which, <laughs> which in this today's money is no money at all. You know, um, and even back then wasn't a great deal more. He only got like a five or more than he would have done normally, um, and it's. But it was like, that was what you did. That's how you got on. You paid your dues and that kind of stuck with you. And that doesn't necessarily pertain to a long career, especially when that particular generation of junior heavyweights, like I said, were doing wondrous and great things. But that was a grind on the body that no one had really kind of encountered before, if you see what I mean. So like uh, Mark Rocco, who passed away a couple of years ago, had to retire at he retired at like thirty-six with a heart condition because he trained that hard and his heart had basically become this massive muscle that he could no longer control and he didn't do steroids. <laughs> you know, so it's like the the health issues that those guys had, thankfully a lot of them are still fit and healthy. Mike Jones is, um, had a proper retirement and Chick Cullenhouse as well, and a few of the others. But it wasn't it wasn't all sunshine and roses as far as their careers were concerned when it came to health issues and it's a thing that wrestlers really need to learn from in this day and age as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've read enough old wrestler biographies to, you know, know about their schedule and it's crazy. It's a hustle, it's a grind and and for a lot of guys, they need to keep going any way they can and they do that by taking something, taking drugs or alcohol or whatever. So yeah, it's no surprise that Davey would be part of that. I mean, I, I mentioned the match with Brett at SummerSlam you know, the famous backstory of that match is in the lead up to it, Davey is off just smoking crack with Jim Nightheart for weeks. And the night before, Brett has to go over the match with Davey Boy in fine detail over and over and over again. And then the day of the show, they start the match, lock up, and Davey tells Brett that famous quote, you know, Brett, I'm fucked because he forgot what to do. And Brett has to lead Davey Boy through the entire match in front of all those people in Wembley Stadium. And they pull it off. The match is great. It's a classic. One of the best of all time. Yada, yada, yada. And it was Brett carrying him the entire way through. So it's equal parts cool and amazing on Brett's part that he was able to do that. And also really sad on Davey's part that the biggest match of his life was hampered by drugs. And a lot of his life was hampered by drugs, as we you know, we saw, unfortunately, with him, James.
1: Yeah, I mean, even before then, if you go back to 83, when... He wrestled dynamite for the WWF junior heavyweight championship in New Japan when Tiger Mask left and vacated the title. Um, he wrestled the Cobra straight before he wrestled dynamite and again said to dynamite, Tommy, I'm fucked. (laughs) (laughs) And dynamite said, well, you're going to have a good match, whether you want it or not. And that's, that was, that wasn't necessarily drug issues. That was just the rate at which they were going and you add drugs on top of that. And then you have trouble, which is unfortunately there we go and that's, that's the story we have to take say unfortunately
0: yeah yeah but um we'll try to keep it a little bit lighter as we go along here not to <laughs> not to be too doom and gloom the entire episode here so got um away i think <laughs> oh right right yeah we got that out of the way for sure yeah <laughs> but um but let's get to these themes here and we have a bunch of themes on the docket uh more than many might think because everyone knows rule britannia as the main song and we'll get to that, of course, but. There are also a bunch of one-off themes and early themes that Davy Boy had that people probably don't know about. And we'll go over those and we'll lump a couple of them together just to make it easier. You'll see what I mean. But um, we'll start off in the early 80s when a very young Davy Boy Smith wrestles in Stampede Wrestling in Calgary. He started wrestling in 1978 on World of Sport as young David. Um, Literally, he's 15 years old. And then he goes to Stampede and meets up with Brett and Dynamite and all those guys. And the song DB Boy had in Stampede is by Survivor off the album Eye of the Tiger and the Rocky III soundtrack. This is, of course, Eye of the Tiger. this point uh, 2022 this song has definitely reached cliche status you know it's used everywhere it's in movies and tv shows and commercials rock band 2 you know it, it's the ultimate motivational hero song the build-up the dun dun the punchy riff bah 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 bah, bah the triumphant chorus and the lyrics it, everyone knows this song they've heard it a million times and in this day and age you do roll your eyes at it i think but you think back to 82 83 you know, right in the zeitgeist of this song, it's number one in on the charts, Grammy award-winning, Rocky III is a monster film. You know, if you're a heroic wrestler at the time, it's really a no-brainer to use this as your theme, James, you know?
1: I completely agree. I mean, this <laughs> this listening to this threw me back to a school disco when I was about seven at Blighton Village Hall, where I now live. I've just recently moved back there. Um, and it's like this came on and the whole room went, oh because it was the hit song of the time. And it absolutely is. It's the perfect underdog song. You know, there's um, the Rocky, the whole Rocky series is kind of like, um, uh, well, you know, when I was did my master's degree at university, it was on film. My, my dissertation was on film and sports. And obviously I spent a lot of time looking at Rocky because <laughs> my, uh, my tutor made me. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't really want to look at this. I was looking at other stuff anyway. But that that song is is the perfect kind of you write about the zeitgeist of the time, like a lot of the films that were around at the time. Um, the music matches the mood, and a lot of it's very hopeful and very positive. And it it kind of plays into where um, Hollywood was at the time, but also American politics was at the time, Reagan and you know the positivity about the American way of life and one thing one thing and another. Um but even I was just been watching Smokey and the Bandit trilogy again and all of those songs that came from those films are really positive upbeat. Like even the non-country ones are. You know, there's a couple of ballads on the first film but then you look at, listen to the soundtrack of the second one. It's all boom 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 boom. Chase music all the time. And it's about positivity and stuff in the way that music and film just doesn't gel like that anymore. Um, but then you apply that story to a pro wrestler who's in Stampede, who's about 18 years old, who's thin and wiry and not put weight on yet. And it's the perfect song for David Boy Smith in that particular situation.
0: Definitely, definitely. I think the issue with this song for me is that so many wrestlers have used it over the years. Uh, most famously, Hulk Hogan. This was his big theme before Real American. Um, and it fits Hogan to a T, you know, with the all-American good guy, of course, but... It was also used by superstar Billy Graham and Conan, Kerry Von Erich, Ricky Steamboat, Dan Severn, Chris Adams. The list goes on and on and on. I mean, talk about overuse, my God. So, (laughs) this is one of those cases, I think, where you have a popular song that is so popular, everyone uses it. So, you can't really associate this with Davy Boy at first thought. You know, Iron Man, you think of Road Warriors, Tom Sawyer, you think of Kerry. I, the tiger, you know, take your pick. And and for me, it's not Davy Boy. And and part of that is, of course, this being a very early part of his career. It's early 80s stampede, which is not the most, you know, widely seen part of his career. There is that factor too. I know that. But still, I don't hear this song and think, ah, yes, Davy Boy Smith. That's not what I think of first there, James. So.
1: No, I think that's the thing. And it, it goes back into the territory days, doesn't it? Really? It's like, they could get away with it because they weren't going to see Kerry Mon eric and they weren't going to see billy superstar but i might see billy superstar billy graham but what they were not going to see all those other guys and it's still in a period where if you're in calgary you're staying in calgary and you know it's it's a separate place you can get away with it i think in that era and, and i'm sure there will be wrestlers on the indie circuits now who still use like the tiger <laughs> as, as their entrance music because it's it's got all of the right speed. It's like it's 112 beats per minute, which is not particularly quick. And it's got that beat of walking, which is important. Like how the beat of a piece of music actually really kind of reflects the action that goes with it. And it's, just, and, it's and it's about walking. If you watch the video for this, um, which I'm sure you can find on YouTube, it's people just walking everywhere. Like they're all meeting up and they're walking somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> aimlessly walking. It's always walking. So it's ideal for a walk-on for a wrestler. And you've got this... Um... So you've got all those staccato chords which really grab your attention. They draw you into the song. And that kind of draws you into a character. So it is kind of the perfect wrestling walk-on song in one sense because of that, that way it connects with the person that's trying to move out and move into the arena. Um, and also, of course, uplifting lyrics, like we've said, and it's very positive, which for a baby face is really what you're looking for. Absolutely, yeah.
0: And uh, it's a good way to start off here because it does reinforce the idea that Davy Boy's theme history is a lot more than just rule Britannia that that's his most well-known theme of course but as you see here he wasn't always just hey it's the British guy you know <laughs> I I a tiger it's a much more universal good guy theme even though yes it's by an American band and Rocky 3 is very much an American movie um the song is is a lot more uh you know universal so yeah. someone like a Davey Boy Smith or a Conan or whatever could use it James
1: I do think as well is like you have to understand that at the time in Stampede, there were more British wrestlers. Like you couldn't just play Royal Britannia as his team, tune in one sense because a because he wasn't the British Bulldog yet. But you had Dynamite Kid, Marty Jones was touring there all the time. Um, a giant a Stax used to go over there as Loch Ness Monster. So there was four or five Brits who were working the Stampede circuit. So it was it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have stood out <laughs> <laughs> like in WWE when he got there they were the only British people on the roster so just like playing Union, ja- Union playing um, uh, any form of British nationalistic song wasn't going to work <laughs> right right so in 1983
0: uh, Davey goes over to New Japan Pro Wrestling and does a few tours there and he has three songs in New Japan that we'll talk about here we'll lump them all together and play them all at once here so first is a song called Agatha by Parachute <laughs> song called Neon, also by Parachute. Finally, Jungle Waterfall by Return to Forever featuring Chick Corea. Got like a jazz fusion trilogy here. Uh, Parachute, they're a Japanese band. Return to Forever, an American one, and uh, some some different flavors of jazz fusion here. Um, Agatha is the zippier, fast-paced song. Neon is slower, more emotional of a tune, and Jungle Waterfall is just a straight-up funky brew. So even though it's the same genre, they're different you know takes on it. So. Yeah, I don't have a ton to say about these songs. They're they're fine. Um, I'm just not a big you know jazz fusion guy. I'm I'm more of a, a, a prog rock kind of weirdo, James. That's <laughs> that's more my cup of tea, I suppose.
1: <laughs> I learned the beginning to Agatha. That's it. That's Ace. I love that. That's great. I like melody bends bending. Um, I also watch these live videos of them playing it. They're still playing it together live, and it's Ace because they're like playing this funky song and all stood there reading sheet music. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the visual of them playing is nothing like what you're actually listening to. They all look like used car salesmen, <laughs> just stood still playing the guitars and very, very, very serious. Um, I did think Agatha was kind of like, it seemed to be the theme tune to a buddy cop movie that didn't really exist. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of good. Whereas Neon... It's more like a Joshi drama. Not Joshi drama. Um, uh, um, how can I put it? It was very close to a lot of the Joshi things we've talked about before, actually. But I was thinking more of a, an anime kind of drama. Sorry, i am written down the wrong thing here. Yeah, so it was more of an anime drama. <laughs> like you, like the quiet scene in a Dirty Pair film where uh, Kay and Yuri are discussing their feelings about a certain character. It felt like that. It, it doesn't feel like a an introduction to somebody at all <laughs> it feels like somewhere else um i, I did like jungle waterfall though that's great chick korea great guitarist loads of wah-wah a lot of funky wah If i might be been auto war actually but um so lots of seventy porn 70s porn sounds unfortunately but <laughs> With, with an auto wire, it's kind of like a pedal that just moves, that just stays on. So it's always the same rhythm all the time. Like with a regular wire, you can control it. With an auto wire, it's just like the band has to start at the right point. So that it can just go constantly all the time and is a nice even rate of a an effect. So it's kind of cool when you get it right. And obviously in a studio, it's a lot easier to get right than playing live. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting kind of piece of music. But none of them really kind of ring true as wrestling themes outside of Japan. If I'm going to say Agatha, Jungle Waterfall, you could see him coming out to that in America or in Europe. Um, Maybe Agatha, but probably not. But definitely not Neon.
0: Yeah, my take with this is that with Eye of the Tiger, there was at least that through line and reasoning why he had that song. You don't have that here with these ones. They're kind of just random picks. Um, But again, he's still in his younger days it's pre-Bulldogs and he's just coming over for a couple of tours here and there. He's not really a regular guy on the roster, so they're probably just like, Yeah, give him whatever songs we have. That's probably (laughs) it and and yeah, I mean, looking back, yeah, this style of music was pretty prevalent at the time in Japanese wrestling. You know, look at themes for Fujinami or The Funks or Stan Hansen. You know, Mm -hmm. they're they're pulling from that rock jazz fusion pool, really. I, I remember doing the Bret Hart episode a few years ago His New Japan theme was a song called Eris by Tony Williams. And that is just straight up jazz fusion right there. Mm. It's only when we get to the 90s that we get the four pillars and, you know, the three musketeers and we get these big, epic, intense, you know, guitar, big keyboard songs and all that. But 80s, this is still the predominant sound, James. That's for sure.
1: And as well, it kind of like you think about the people who were in Japan at the time who did have other theme songs, it's part of the reason why they stood out. I mean, I'm thinking, like you mentioned earlier, about Road Warriors and and Iron Man. You know, that's going to stand out when everyone else is coming out to this jazz rock, punk fusion, and then you've got them coming out to Sabbath. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a bit like um, just this shock of this different kind of music, and it helps people stand out. These songs do not help you stand out. But as you said, Davy wasn't really standing out that much at the time. You know, they were going over as Brett, Davy, and um, Dynamite. And Dynamite was the leader of the gang, if you see what I mean. And they were all heels. Um, Chris Adams would occasionally join them as well. Um, and they were all heels going up against Tiger Mask. And it's kind of just they weren't expected. He wasn't expected to be top of the tree just yet he's a young boy He still is a young boy and even though he's like six or seven years into his career he's still not quite considered the draw yet to be able to stand out so you kind of need a generic theme song for a generic wrestler if that makes sense
0: mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah yeah um you know in the lead up to this episode here i went online and um i tried to see if there were any uh DB boy matches on new japan world and there are a couple of them on there Uh, One against the Cobra and a couple against Dynamite. And uh, it's amazing, you know, it's only a couple of years removed from World of Sport young David, but he's already gained a fair amount of muscle mass in those short few years. So um, he's not as big as he was in the 90s, mind you, but still, World of Sport, he's like a stick bug. And now it's a few years later and he's bulked up and he'll keep bulking up uh, considerably (laughs) over the next couple of years, uh, James, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think probably the best like the way you can track it, there was a match he had with Dave Finley, the third. The current David Finley's dad. (laughs) Uh World of Sport. And he had just come back from Canada for I guess he was visiting family and he got a he got a match for whilst they come back because a lot of the guys did that at the time. They'd maybe only come back for two or three days or a week, but they'd wrestle matches for um, joint promotions and he's wrestling david finley and um you can tell how much he's bulked up because he's just he's not the size he would become but all the everything's in the right place for that to happen and he's wrestling at heavy middleweight which was before he'd been a lightweight a very thin lightweight <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell that he's he's really and you can also tell he's got the body shape to put more weight on whereas dynamite really didn't necessarily you know is the the, the famous chapter in McCauley's book where he's like a person who's 220 pounds who shouldn't have really been more than 180. Whereas Davy Boy was, what, what had the potential to be a, a bit of a giant of a man?
0: So Davy and Dynamite are in New Japan, and then in 84, the Bulldogs jump to All Japan and start touring there. They get a new theme song in All Japan. Uh, this is by Tom Scott off the album Street Beat, and it's called. Car Wars. <laughs> Nothing but car wars. Give me those car wars. Don't let them end. Uh, First of all, the song is called Car Wars. There are no car sounds in this song. That's false advertising, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But, um, But no, seriously though, the feeling I get with this one is a busy road. Lots of traffic, lots of hustle and bustle, cars moving everywhere. So... Yeah, in that sense, it's an appropriate name, and, you know, we had the Jazz Fusion stuff in New Japan with Davey Boy, and now he's in All Japan with Dynamite, and he still has Jazz Fusion there, so there you go, <laughs> but um, but I will say this, I did find this song to be the catchiest of all of his Jazz Fusion themes, uh, I did find myself coming along to it as it uh, played, so, uh, you know what, hey, it's a, a fine song, and gets a thumbs up from me there, James.
1: Yes, I think so as well, it, it very much of its era, but it's uh, there's something I was listening to and I was going. I have heard something like this before, and there's lots of drones in it because it's like it's like that. And I was like, "Hang on, medal by Pink Floyd. That's Abdul the Butcher's theme in all Japan. Oh, that's got drones in it too. And I yeah, went and one of to these days, and... right? Yeah." Yeah, it was like, ooh, that, that, that's maybe Baba had a thing for drones, but that's kind of like, you know, it's very kind of similar. And, of course, if you have a piece of music one popular wrestler and can mimic it or take a theme from it, it kind of drifts you along into the next wrestler. And Dynamite and uh, Abdullah were good friends as well. So that may have been one of the reasons why ever just, it could have been coincidental entirely. But it does seem to be like, I wrote down in my notes, it says it seems like what Baba's idea of a theme should be. <laughs> like you don't have an idea what theme is and that's how it should be
0: yeah again we're a ways away from the days of you know Grand Sword and Holy War and uh, Take the Dream and Hard Crash and all those songs so yeah but um, what's interesting about this song to me is the way the timeline went because they joined All Japan in 84 and went to the WWF soon afterwards and They started using Rule Britannia in WWF, which we'll get to in a second. And then the Bulldogs left the WWF in 88 and went back to All Japan for a little bit. But they kept using Car Wars in All Japan. They didn't change it to Rule Britannia. And by that point, they are firmly the British Bulldogs. They are the Union Jack team, all that stuff. But they kept theme song loyalty for Car Wars in All Japan. That's quite something.
1: (laughs) Did the British Bruisers use it or did they use something different?
0: I I know this was always Dynamite's theme in all Japan, uh, even after Davey Boy left to go back to the WWF in 1990, um, so I, I assume the Bruisers had it too, but I don't know for sure.
1: i would be interesting to see, because it's like, um, the Bruisers were um, Johnny Smith and Dynamite Kid, and they kind of followed on from what the Bulldogs were doing, but were a bit more heelish in their intent, um, it, except everybody loved Dynamite, so... <laughs> <laughs> trying to be heels when everyone's cheering for them so it didn't really work out depending on who they were wrestling if anyone, were, if they were going up against anyone who was slightly a heel then they'd just get cheered and that, that would be that So, but yeah um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think this is kind of like a classic all Japan theme, it kind of makes me feel like oh, um, three ring three turnbuckle covers instead of a ring pad, if you see what I mean and I start like, imagining all Japan stuff if you listen to this piece of music in my head
0: Mm-hmm, right, right. Um, And Tom Scott, I looked him up. He is one of those session guys who's been with literally everyone. Uh, I know he was in the Blues Brothers Band, but he's worked with Joan Baez, Steely Dan, Carpenters, Carol King, uh, Juice Newton, uh, Barbara Streisand, Barry Manilow, Rod Stewart, George Harrison, just a billion people. But um, for us wrestling fans, he's Mr. Car Wars. So there you go.
1: So <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like, you know, a, a lot of guys like that, I mean, you get it more prevalently now, but a lot of guys like that go unnoticed because they toil away making music for, you know, um, just for TV shows and for just nondescript pieces of music, or they actually make music for themselves that they've released that gets picked up for things like this. Um, but there, there are, I was like, I watch, a a lot of the old Motor Trend channel up until recently, and they won't let British people watch it anymore. But um they used, obviously, they had access to the Discovery um music archive. Like the Discovery channel has its own music archive. So if you're watching any of those documentaries, there's like an archive of music that they paid people to do to, <laughs> so they can pick the, the theme songs that you want. But before that, you can like watch old episodes of Wheeler Dealers and they're just using generic music that's on cheap movies. So I was like, I watched um, Chris Rock's Head of State has the same music as episodes of Wheel of which is a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> but there is wrestling
0: in Head of State because they filmed it at a TNA show. So,
1: <laughs> yes, they did, yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, um, uh, uh, it'd be Brian James, wouldn't it? He was in it, and um, yep. can't remember who else. Was Ron that. Killings, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Ron Killings. Yeah, yeah, that was it. it oh, yeah, it was a cool <laughs> film as well. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: um, also in 84, the British Bulldogs go to the WWF. Uh, they are brought in as rivals to the Hart Foundation. And, of course, they eventually win the tag team titles from the Dream Team at WrestleMania two, with Ozzy Osbourne in their corner. And the WWF is where we get the Bulldogs' new theme and Davey Boy's new theme. This was originally written as a poem in 1740 by James Thompson and put to music by Thomas Arne. And this version is done by Leonard Bernstein. Sorry, Leonard Leonard Bernstein Bernstein. (laughs) and the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, This is Rule Britannia. this is the main attraction. It's why we're all here. Uh, you know, Davy's best-known theme. Had it for many, many years in various companies. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why they gave this song to the British Bulldogs in the first place. You know, It's one of the most famous British patriotic songs of all time. And when you have a team whose primary characteristic is, we're from England! They're going to go for the obvious choice here. Um, I mean, the the stereotypical music for foreign wrestlers is a time-moder tradition in wrestling, James, and this is no different.
1: No, this is this is no more different than the Orient Express coming out to a piece of music using pentatonic scales. <laughs> 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 it's, it's, yeah, it, oh, this song. Um, I have a hard time with patriotic songs being British because there's there's a history we have as a country which isn't pleasant. And this song embodies <laughs> top to bottom. Like the original, like the original version of the song was the original version of the poem was written in like the seventeen hundreds, and it was kind of like rule Britannia, Britannia rules the waves, in the sense of to exhort us to go rule the waves, which we did. And then what did we do with that power? while well, slavery, anyway. Um, so, so it's like it's, it's the. It's a piece of music that when I was a kid and was much more simplistic in the way I dealt with my nationality and is something I've had to come to terms with since we left the European Union and a lot of people will have done as well. Um, it's, it's, a got, it's loaded with lots of politics, as most of these songs are. I mean, of all the patriotic songs, I kind of like Jerusalem um, because it, it's, it's much more neutral but it's, there's, there's, um, there's connotations about Christianity in there as well, which is also another minefield we'll not get into today. But um, Royal Britannia is all about British dominance, and it, the meaning of the song changed from trying to be dominant to actually the dominant force in European politics and then world politics for however, however long, and its exploitation of the empire and horrible things. So There's a lot of connotation in this, but it's also joyous as well. I don't want to be completely negative about it. It's played at the last night of the proms. It's the final song of the celebration of British classical music every year. You know, the BBC cover it every September at the Royal Albert Hall. The BBC Philharmonic play out Royal Britannia as the final song of the final night of the proms. And it's a three week long celebration of classical music that, and largely British classical music. Um, and that's great. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing and a tradition that I wouldn't want us to lose as a country. But there's also connotations going on with this song. But in the basic principle of how to advertise a to a greater world in the World Wrestling Federation, and you're trying to nationalize this product and then internationalize this product, of course you go with that. It's the obvious thing to do.
0: Well, you're talking to an American here, so uh, if anyone knows a thing or two about patriotic songs and dicey history, it's us, my friend, okay? Come on now. (laughs) But um, but yeah, I, I think of this as like the equivalent of Lex Luger using Stars and Stripes Forever. You know, the super patriotic American guy using super patriotic American music. This is the British version of that. And, you know, the Bulldogs, they had the Union Jack flag. They had the Union Jack gear and all that. They're called the British Bulldogs. It's in their name, for God's sake. So the song does complement that, I think. And and also, it's a very upbeat-sounding song in general, too. It has that pep to it. it. It makes for a good theme, especially for, like, an energetic athletic face team like the Bulldogs. Um, and it works better than, say, God Save the Queen, the anthem, which is slower and more formal. So, um, yeah, of those two options, I suppose, um, Robert Britannia is the better choice, James.
1: The only wrestler to use God Save the Queen as any form of theme song um, would be Rockstar Spud in Impact Wrestling when he had his feud with EC3. And at Wembley, I think it was Wembley; it was the big show they did in London that year when they had a street fight. He started singing an a cappella version of God Save the Queen and the entire crowd joined. <laughs> um, and then he got his head kicked in. Ah! <laughs> but it was, it was a cool televisual moment and kind of the exact thing that Spud is famous for that he does so well.
0: Yeah, when I think of God Save the Queen in wrestling, I think of the match between Pac and Masato Yoshino from Dragon Gate. Um, it was the match for the Dream Gate title where Pac won it. And uh, in Dragon Gate, before every you know big title match... They play the Japanese national anthem. And for Pac, they also played God Save the Queen. So they play the Japanese national anthem and they get through that fine. And then they start playing God Save the Queen, and Pac immediately attacks Yoshino during it. Like, because, you know, he's a bastard and he doesn't respect his own national anthem. Like, it's wonderful. So, yeah. Um, But getting back to Rule Britannia here, uh, like I said, this was Davies' theme first with the Bulldogs, and then it's a singles guy in like WWF and WCW. Um, as a face and a heel. You know, later on we'll talk about his last theme that he had in 99-2000 when he was a bad guy, but I'm talking about the heel run of like 95-97 to 97 when he was with, you know, Camp Cornet and Owen and the Heart Foundation, like that run. He still had Rule Britannia as his theme, like as is, which I guess changes the song from, Hey, I'm British and proud of it, let's go, to... Yeah, I'm British, you stupid Yanks. You know, <laughs> especially during the whole Heart Foundation when we was like, you know, U.S. versus Canada and U.K. So, um, yeah, it does change the context depending on his, you know, alignment there, uh,
1: James. I th- yeah, I think there's, there's also that, that period of WWF history wasn't known for its cultural sensitivity. No, um, no, no, no. Well, <laughs> I think I think that's the thing is like there is. I know, but I mean, there is like, this is the thing with the Union Jack in general as well is like, there's connotations to that particular flag that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. A lot of people are a lot happier to fly the St. George's Cross, the English flag or St. Andrew's Cross, the Scottish flag or the Welsh flag or even the, the Northern Irish flag because of the connotations of the Union Jack. Um, and it, it's, it, that's, that's the thing is you can, There's a fine line between patriotic and nationalistic songs, and that's where the heel thing comes in. You can actually portray this as a nationalist song.
0: Mm -hmm, Right, right. And um, I did want to point this out too. Uh, When the Bulldog came back to WWF in 99, he did so as a babyface for the first couple of weeks before the heel turn. And they actually gave him like a rap rock remix of Rule Britannia. Yes, it is real, and I'll play it for you guys right now. Yeah, this was very much a short-lived song, but um, but the intent I think was okay. We need to bring the British Bulldog into the new millennium, into the Attitude Era. We need to make him hip and cool and edgy. How do we do that? Aha! Rap rock. We'll do that. And that whole mindset didn't really pan out all that well, there, James.
1: Was um, because it was awful, Andrew.
0: Yeah, that may have played a part, I think. Perhaps, perhaps. Uh... <laughs> it's like
1: it's like someone tried to explain hip-hop to somebody's dad by reading them an excerpt from a book and then giving them a laptop and telling them to remix this song. And it, it's just awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just terrible. There's no way, like, I got a sugarcoat it. There's no, no, just just no.
0: Yeah. Well, at least there were no lyrics that's right. You know, I'm the British Bulldog. I'm a superstar. I'm going to beat you up because I'm bizarre. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have that, thankfully. So, <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. So, uh, the Bulldogs, known for having Rule Britannia, of course, but... Um, There is one instance where they had a different song in WWF. It was on a 1986 MSG show. The Bulldogs came out to this song. It's by Loverboy. Yes, that Loverboy. Off the album Lovin' Every Minute of It. This is the title track Lovin' Every Minute of It. So Loverboy, of course, best known for songs like Working for the Weekend" and Turn Me Loose. But um, I like this one the most of their songs. I really dig it a lot. Um, and, you know, it just it tickles me pink that this lighthearted, fun, wink and smile, sexual innuendo kind of song was used by the British Bulldogs of all people. Who, A, yes, they're good guys, but still, they're a more serious, straightforward tag team. Uh, the gimmick is not sexy heartthrobs or whatever. And B, I mean, it's Dynamite Kid who is one of the surliest, <laughs> intense, just fucked up dudes in wrestling history. With with this theme song, it, it's such a weird, albeit funny combination. I think, James.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's got it's got the elements. You've got some, you've got some uh, big thick chords in it, and some. Some pentatonic scales, which is always good in a in a in a wrestling song, and a lot of uh, all the elements are there to make it a good wrestling theme song. I listened to it, and honestly, I thought it was kind of like I I I, I thought it was like the precursor to everything that happened in the early '90s that brought us grunge, um, because it, it just sounds like Winger. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and other such awful bands that that just, like, went away in 1993 with Three Chords and Kirk Bay. Um, and, yeah, it's, 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 it's... But you're right, it's just, like, it's a, supposed to be a fun little throwaway song, and it's like the Bulldogs are anything but a fun little throwaway team, are they? <laughs> They're the kind of the opposite of that. And I suppose, but at that point, they were trying to be repackaged as family entertainers. That's the whole WWF trip, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's weird how, on the one hand, you've got "Touch that dial, turn me on, start me like a motor, make me run, loving every minute of it," and on the other hand, you've got Dynamite Kid pointing a gun at his pregnant wife in front of their kids. Just, just a, just a <sighs> little bit of dissonance there, I think. Um, although the line "I'm tuning in, I'm out of control" that that does work pretty well for Dynamite, I'd say. There, James, there, there is that at
1: least. So, yeah. It just, it just doesn't fit though, does it? Just, no, no. <laughs> it's quite a big round hole and it is like, at least with like, the, there is a strong connection of the, the Brit, the Bulldogs as far as Royal Britannia is concerned. Is like, there's, there's no mistaking that. There's the British guys, they have a very British theme tune, but this is, this is, you no, know, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit the, fit the brief of what the people are trying to do as far as like, presenting themselves is, con- is concerned, you know, it, cause it is, I mean, they did do a lot of the haha ha stuff with Matilda and one thing and another in that particular time period, which I, though they didn't particularly like because they wanted to be serious wrestlers because they came from Wigan and they were from the you know they were Snake Pit, they were the uh, dungeon in Calgary, and they were the New Japan Dojo, was, like the three toughest places on earth, toxic masculinity bottled. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but so this one just just kind of. It's a bit weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, it's funny, you know, they're the British Bulldogs. Loverboy is a Canadian band. Like, they didn't even pick a band from the UK. You know, The Clash or Duran Duran or Kaja Goo you know, any <laughs> band from England or whatever. But they missed the mark entirely, I guess. It's weird.
1: What think of Kajigingo?
0: Oh, I was just picking a random UK band from the eighties. You know, <laughs> I could have picked haircut 100. I could have picked a spandau ballet, uh, you, you know, any one of those bands or whatever. So
1: I, I back your knowledge of, uh, British eighties pop rock.
0: Yeah. I like the music. What can I say? So, <laughs> um, so the other big American promotion that Davey boy was in during the nineties, besides WWF was WCW. And, uh, Davey Boy had two stints in WCW. Uh, the first was in '93, after Davey got released from the WWF because he was getting HGH shipped to him from England. Which, uh, you know, during the whole Doctor Zahorian steroid kerfuffle, maybe not
1: the best idea in the world, James. No, 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 not really. No, just just no. Shipping in drugs of. Are- Time is never really good.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it is not. Um, and the other run was in 98 after the Montreal screw job. Uh, Davey quit the WWF in solidarity with Brett and went to WCW. And um, like I said, he had Rule Britannia and WCW for the most part, but he also had some one off themes too. And we'll play these all together here. First is Road Booster by Jean Paul Niquin Merkel and Jean Pierre Taeb. <laughs> Razors by David B. Fields. were both from March 93 and this one's from January 98 for one match. It's called Monster by Ross Hardy and Brian White. we had the jazz fusion trilogy earlier in new japan and now we have the wcw hard rock library song trilogy and you know we've played these kind of songs a million times before they're a staple of wcw and yeah they've got intensity and energy and all that but it's funny they kind of mirror the jazz fusion songs from before in that they don't really stand out as davy boy smith themes they're fine but they're also very generic and run-of-the-mill songs and They don't say Davy Boy Smith, James. You know?
1: No, it's it's the kind of things that Brian Pillman turned down. Really, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) it's it's. I mean, you've got they are just like kind of standard um, with some nice harmony parts in. There's, um, I think the Hellraisers one has some nice bit of organ um, and kind of this. Odd modulation because it changes key halfway through the verse and then is a bit odd and then comes back down again. So that kind of stood out for me. But from like from a technical point of view, they're kind of cool. But I do notice one thing I did notice between them is the ones from '93 are very much of hair metal kind of Van um, Halen. Van Halen not really hair metal, but they were kind of like the Poison um, kind of style of guitar rock, but very basic um, with some odd twists in it like that modulation and stuff and then we listened to the one from uh, 98 the Ross Hardy and Brian White one Um, that 1998 one sounds a lot more kind of on the Chili Peppers Rage Against the Machine kind of end of rock music in fact um, I was listening to the Van Halen album for Unlawful Final Knowledge and I was on the way here and I drove up, I'm working for my studio today and I was listening to that and I'm going This is kind of mid '90s, and there's bits of that in this. Like the, there's one track on that album where Sammy Hagar's just talking over the music; he's not singing. Um, "Boston of Pleasure Dome," I think it's called, and the the chord sequence is very similar. And there's the the bass line is very Chili Peppers and kind of very Rage Against the Machine in it as well. It's much more new metal. You can see the way, like the way the charts has and and uh, rock music changed, and it certainly started to affect even the WCW Rock Music Library.
0: Yeah, you can definitely tell that uh, Monster is the heaviest of the bunch, um, especially with those drums. But um, what's strange to me about this is that, you know, with the Jazz Fusion stuff in New Japan, he was just Davy Boy Smith, this young guy from England. But in this case, it's 93 and 98. And at that point, you know, he is well and firmly established as the British Bulldog. Like, he's the guy dressed in Union Jack, with Rule Britannia as his theme. He's that guy. And he'll still be that guy in WCW. And yet, for some reason, they gave him these generic rock songs. Even though, yes, they were only used for like a week or whatever each. It's like, it's hard to understand why they didn't have Rule Britannia from the jump. And, and this happened twice. It's happened twice. It's crazy. <laughs> like, you're WCW. You know Davey Boy's coming into the company. Just get Rule Britannia. It's not that hard. Like... Is WCW that incompetent that they screwed up twice like that? The answer is yes, yes <laughs> they are, James.
1: <laughs> it's also not like you have to pay any rights for Royal Britannia*. It's open-source music that copyright had been passed long before. It's a traditional folk song. Go find the Atlanta Philharmonic and stick a microphone in front of them. <laughs> You're done. That uh, that's <laughs> simple, yeah, rap- yeah. It's that simple. That's all, it, all, all they really need to do. And I'm pretty sure they could have found a generic version of it using like MIDI violins or what have you. Uh, but yes, interestingly, the only time I saw Davy Boy Smith, Smith sorry, wrestle live was between his 93 WCW run and him going back to the WWF. And
0: Wasn't it um, All-Star
1: Wrestling? Was that the name of the promotion? It was Joint Wrestling, um, actually. It was the last ever tour of Joint Wrestling, um, Max Crabtree's promotion. Um, and essentially what happened was they did a tour of all of the um, Big, uh cum- like there are buildings in the UK that are usually owned by local authorities. Okay, so like local councils own them, which is great if you're ringing an event because it's guaranteed money. They will pay you if only two people turn up. They might not book you, again, but they will always pay you. <laughs> okay, and Joint did a tour of those kind of halls and they played Scunthorpe Baths, which is the the big hall around us. It's now a very different building. It's like a ten million pounds spent on it. And it's a massive place, but back then it was the baths, the swimming pool and they used to cover over the swimming pool with boards in the winter so you could have bands on. (laughs) I've played Scunthorpe Baths many a time and it was horrible back in the day because they only put boards over the swimming pool and even when they modernised it, they didn't fill in the swimming pool so sound just disappeared into the ether. You could be playing with a massive PA system (laughs) and like three people at the front going, what are you doing? you turn it up! So... (laughs) So this was at that particular era of Scum Thought Baths. Um and it was funnily enough, he took when he was a young wrestler, he was Big Daddy's tag team partner because he was tiny, thus making like the the classic daddy match, his best of three falls. Daddy starts on the first fall, wins the first fall, tags in junior partner, whoever it was, Dynamite did it as well, as did William Regal too, and most British wrestlers at one point or another um tagging junior partner who gets his head kicked in then you make the daddy wins the final fall and then essentially d- davy boy did that match with another young wrestler whose name i can't remember but um that's that's the way they were two massive heels davy boy not too big because Davy Boy had to do the running power slam otherwise it won't be david boy smith would it um and that's that's how he finished up his uk in-ring co- career really you know he'd gone literally from three years from filling Wembley Stadium to doing thought Baths and it kind of did it as a favour to the crab Trees, from what I understood you know, for getting him started um, but me and my mum and dad went to see it because it was like you're never going to see him again possibly <laughs> so no. why not Why not? Oh, and that was it and it was a sellout crowd at thought Baths and um, funnily enough they were selling um, off old programmes from the 80s and I happened to pick one up and it had um pictures of Davy boy from Canada and he was tagging with uh, Marty Jones it was a bit weird but there you go one of those things um what you find out at local wrestling shows
0: pretty cool pretty cool yeah um so yeah uh Davey boy and WCW uh not a ton to dig into there really um especially the 98 run where he was just a mid-carder pretty much with Neidhart for the whole way through um and that run ended in life-changing disaster for Davy Boy because, uh, for those that don't know, at Fall Brawl 98, they put this trapdoor in the ring so that in the main event, Ultimate Warrior could rise up through the trapdoor in the Wargames match. Well, earlier in the show, Davy Boy wrestled a match and he landed awkwardly on the trapdoor on his back and it screwed his back up really badly. And it also led to him getting addicted to painkillers as well, so... Yeah, I mean the guy was already not in like the best of of conditions, but that injury and that addiction just sent him, you know, further down the deep end, and it affected him the rest of his career, really. So, uh, yeah, not the not the best of endings there for David Boy in WCW,
1: that's for sure, James. I mean, we we also had the the Shockmaster incident in the first. Round.
0: That's true. We cannot forget about that. The uh, the lighter side of things. Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> we, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't pass over just because. Surely, any opportunity to talk about the Shockmaster is, is worth three minutes. <laughs> yes, uh,
0: we mentioned you know the low lows of WCW. There, um, there were highs too. Uh, not wrestling Vader for the World Title on pay per view. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm talking about the moment on Ric Flair's talk show when the Shockmaster debuts. He comes through the wall. He trips. Helmet comes off, and you hear Davey Boy, who's in that segment, you hear him say, "He fell flat on his arse." He fell flat on his fucking arse. That's a great moment right there. That that's a real true highlight from a WCW. That's for sure, James.
1: <laughs> there is there is um, the match with William Regal, Stephen Regal, as he was then, for the World Television Title, which is a showcase of how two British wrestlers would wrestle if they were given chance. Um, and it was like, but in front of a very confused crowd, <laughs> <laughs> but they got them going in the end. But they just did british style chain wrestling for 15 minutes and everyone was going crazy for it by the end but at the beginning they were like what's this
0: <laughs> this isn't body slam clothesline what's going on here <laughs> no
1: no. but that was, and that and that very much was wcw's problem at the time was everything was body slam clothesline i think Larry abisco i remember listening to him on art of wrestling and he was saying like when he started doing commentary in wcw they would have an over under on the number of clotheslines they would see on a wcw power hour like the the, pr- the production crew and um if larry decided to start wrestling again just to show people you could have a match without a clothesline again <laughs> 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 and, and, and um yeah they did like did that's they kind of like larry was trying to lead by example to get them from just like body slam clothesline body slam clothesline all the time and that was kind of a generic problem wcw had for a while um but yeah they you know Davey was a great draw, but he was also a fantastic Matt wrestler. And the, my regret of that, the WWE era of his stuff, and certainly WCW era, less, less so in WCW, was the fact you didn't really get to see that because he was kind of lumbered with the Warlord and other lumpy wrestlers that were fine, not horrible, but you know they weren't really, they weren't. They couldn't really showcase his talents as far as like creating a solid professional wrestling match. And it was only like later when he's tagging with Owen and, and things like that, where he really gets to show off his chops as a straight-up pro wrestler. You know, I think the, um, I did a show, I occasionally do a podcast called The Random Wrestling Review, and they asked me to do one of the Attitude Era shows, and he's wrestling Ken Shamrock, and it's a brilliant piece of work, and it gets underrated because it's, oh, he's taking away Ken Shamrock. But actually, no, it worked really well. And, you know, Ken was still at that point where he wasn't a pro wrestler yet. He was, well, he'd always been a pro wrestler, but he wasn't back in the groove of being a working pro wrestler instead of a shooting pro wrestler. And he, and it was a brilliant piece of work. And it a lot of it was down to David Goy. And, um, you didn't get enough of that for me. Um, but he was still a great wrestler and the talent was always there, but it's how you apply it and what makes money. And the point being pro wrestler is to make a living. So I have no issues with what he did because trying to make a living but sometimes you just go oh if only
0: yeah you know put him with brett you're good to go uh owen as well i mean the match with owen from germany uh for the european title that's one of the best matches in raw history mm. and it's probably the last great singles match of Davey's career too so yeah check that one out for sure it's amazing but um but anyway uh the final theme of the episode here, is when the British Bulldog came back to the WWF in fall of 99. He had the Ruler Britannia remix that we played earlier for a couple of weeks, but then he turned heel and got this new theme song. It's by Jim Johnston off of WWE Uncaged 4. It's simply called Bulldog. Quote this song, Ruff Ruff Ruff! Um, yeah, this is not your older brother's British bulldog. Uh, no more of Britannia, no more Union Jack pants, now he's got jeans and a bad attitude and a new theme song. I mean, this is classic late 90s Jim Johnston crunchy guitar riffs in here. It's got those, you know, creaky notes at the beginning, too. The spooky, "do doo, and the keyboards during the hook. The Barking Dogs, it's all meant to convey this new, surly, unhinged, mean character that the Bulldog is now, and I think this portrays that much better than Robert Tanya does, James.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, is they're trying to repackage him as this fire-breathing monster of a wrestler. doesn't really fit. But it's difficult, I mean, I think Jim Ross said at the time, like, how many times can you repackage David Boy Smith? You know he's he's good at what he does, and he should do what he does, and figure out a way of selling it. And this is a good example of that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with the piece of music. It's kind of oppressive in in tone, which is kind of what you want in a monster. And I was listening to him, like, is the keyboard part trying to kind of replicate a bulldog panting? Like a half of it, which is never good because that sounds like he's exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's. It's, it's classic Jimmy Johnston, very much so. It's very much of the genre, if you listen to the Vader theme. Vader, the Vader theme's a bit more complicated, but even the, the Breaking Glass theme is very similar to that in its simplicity. He's very much trying to create this character through the music. Um, and, but, I mean, it was not It was the possibly the most financially viable run David had in a short period because he got rushed to the main event quickly as someone who came in quickly. He was always a big draw in Europe, so he's always well worth having around as far as, like, popping houses on European tours was concerned. So it's kind of, it's very much kind of, like, highlighting the issues he has rather than enhancing what he's got, if that makes sense. Um, because if he was a big enough name, you wouldn't have to change a thing. Like, if Hulk Hogan came back at the same period, and of course he did a couple of years later, um, you wouldn't take away, um, uh, Real American, would you? You, because it's Hulk Hogan. You know, well, they like, kind of
0: did with Voodoo Child, but um, I, I get the point you're making. Yeah.
1: yeah. That was Hollywood Hogan, not Hulk Hogan, though. Oh, they, semantics, semantics. <laughs> I mean, they did repackage Hogan, but that was that was kind of a different thing. But it there's things going on with this song which kind of like reflect the underlying issues Davey had at this point with his career. This was obviously going to be his last run. And it was depending on how long it was going to last. Unfortunately, it didn't last as long as a lot of us would have hoped. There we are. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, it's not particularly a creative period of time for his wrestling either. It doesn't have killer matches that he was having before, but the actual piece of music, there's nothing wrong with the piece of music. It's very good and it's, it's very much one of Johnson's classics. And in, as far as simplicity is concerned, it's like a one, four, five chord sequence. it's it's not it's not particularly um like deep and there's no melody to it it's all about the keyboards and the atmosphere which is what johnson's really really good at and yeah it works mhm
0: yeah this whole thing reminds me so much of when the big boss man returned in late 98 and he was still a big boss man but he was no longer wearing you know the blue outfit hard times if you ever take a trip no, now he's got the vest, the gloves, new theme song. It was all to say, yes, this is the big boss man, but it's a new era of the boss man, where he's just this plain old evil bastard. And with the Bulldog, it's like, yeah, it's the British Bulldog, but he's no longer just the Union Jack guy. Now he's like some British street brawler in jeans, you know? And the new theme reflects that. You know, it's called Bulldog, not British Bulldog. There's no u k flavoring to this song at all, and I think in this case, it's a good thing because with the w c w themes, there wasn't those British stylings in there, but it didn't work because he was still union Jack British bulldog, but in this case, if you don't have them in there, it's okay because the intent of the song is to say that this is you know a new take on the bulldog character james
1: yeah, I think so i think the the what they're trying to convey works um and then the, but the, that is the underlying issue of like, you look at someone like Jericho, who's reinvented himself what, like 15 times in the last 20 years. Davy Boy could, couldn't do that. And that's the issue that perhaps he was having at this point in his career. You know, like we said, he he's, he's 37, which is nothing for a main event now, is it? You know, it really. I mean, he, Harley Race was still like going pretty well at 40, 40 years old. You know, Flair was still... He still had seven or eight years as a viable Maven event left in him. Um, Tenru was still, <laughs> was doing five star bangers at fifty three. You know, so it's like it's the limitations of David Boy as a character wrestler um, are really where this is the issue, isn't? The music's brilliant in one sense, but it, the issue is why do you need it? <laughs>
0: right right i mean the other big issue of course which we can't overstate is that he's in a real bad way physically speaking um i mean he still looks jack to the gills don't get me wrong but uh you know with the back injury with the painkillers you know he is suffering and they did bring him in to try to be like a top guy but you know once you get rock bottomed into dog poop that's kind of it for you really and he was right down to the mid card after that and um Eventually, he was released in 2000 to go to rehab, but um, but yeah, I know he retired after that, and he was actually gearing up for a comeback in 02. Uh, he wrestled a couple of tag matches with his son, uh, Harry Smith, on some small Canadian indies, but um, he died like literally a week later. So yeah, just a, a real heartbreaking end to a very remarkable career and uh, a very remarkable guy, James.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you... You look at that as a 25-year career, and he starts off in a situation that's awfully familiar for wrestlers for that period. But he he chose to leave and put his put himself into a place that was a complete unknown. All right, Dynamite had gone first, and Marty Jones had spent a bit of time there, and Stephen Wright. So he knew it was a viable it was a viable proposition of going to Stampede and trying to stand out rather than staying in the UK, which was low payoff but low risk. Um but there was already, you know, four or five guys there who were dominating the junior heavyweight scene where he thought he probably would end up, you know, do you, you think about that period, there's Mike Jones and Steve Wright, who goes off to Germany but he spends a lot of time in the UK at the period of time this day finally comes through, you've still got the older generation of the Royal brothers. Um and People like um, um, Chip Cullen coming up. So, you know, there's going to be a crowded market where you could be. And this Hart family offered me $400 a week. I don't know how much Canadian dollars that is, but that seems like a lot of money. And he took that step. And then there's a roller coaster of a career that he was a big money earner. He was a main event guy, not necessarily consistently, but he was a main event guy for two or three of the biggest wrestling companies on earth. And it doesn't really get much better than that, does it?
0: No, no, of course. I mean, he did have his moments, you know, as, as brief as they were at times, he did have his moments in the sun and that's more than a lot of wrestlers get in their careers. That's for sure. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of music of the mat. Thank you so much for listening. And James, Thank you so much for being here again. Uh, as always, just a real fun time, a real British time in this case, that's for sure. But uh, again, a real pleasure having you on here. So thank you.
1: I appreciate it. No, no problem. I'll come back anytime. I really enjoy doing this show. And uh, I will give you a bit of a plug for somebody else. A gentleman called Stephen Bell, who was on the Troopany Show a few months back, has written a book called Dynamite and Davey, which is the history of the Bulldogs. Um, and it's a really good read. And I'd recommend it. You can find him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is bulldogbooks. One, two, three.
0: Okay. And any plugs you want to give for yourself? Go right
1: ahead. Um I'm on Twitter. I'm Sheriff at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. The show is Troopany Show on Twitter or the Troopany Show on Facebook and Patreon, The Troopany Show, where you can support us. Um new show every Monday looking at Japanese wrestling, wrestling around the world. We also have wrestling rewind, which looks at more mainstream stuff, and we cover every New Japan tournament today I've been looking at today at the G1 Climax Night Nineteen. Um, and we do regular shows on a regular basis. All right, and Music of the Met
0: is of course part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find other great podcasts on there at voicesofwrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew of Wrestling dot com slash Discord for all discussions and comments voicesofwrestling.com slash donate for any donations uh, just click the big donate button beneath the name Music of the Matt. if we donate hey thanks so much you're awesome and of course rate, review subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify and many other places James thank you again and I'll see you around
1: thank you very much
0: alright for James Truepenny, I'm Andrew Rich and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat take care guys